Anyway, it's a great joy. We were here a fortnight ago last week. We were down in uh, Christchurch area in Kaiapoi and uh, at a church there. And um, pastor there has uh, got a, a great church. They've just had their church rebuilt, just about to move into their new church that was demolished in the earthquake. And uh, it was exciting to be with a pumping congregation and, uh, and to see what, what God is doing. The... Um, <clears throat> The pastor there, he became a Christian under my ministry I found in December 1991. Over the years, you kind of touch a lot of people, but you don't always remember, you know, where you touched them and how you touched them. But I remember in one of my churches, we had a, a quite a big auditorium, and he was sitting over on the right side, and uh, it was at New Plymouth. And um, at the end of the service, I gave opportunity for anyone who wanted to give their life to Jesus. And I said, look, wave your hand, because my sight is getting a little, a little sort of difficult to identify and so he was over there and the people putting their hands up wanting to commit their lives to Jesus and he's over there Jonathan and he's waving like anything to get my attention and I never I never saw him I never saw him and he uh, told the church this and I didn't see him but I just my only answer to that was God wanted him to work a bit harder to get saved amen <laughs> but uh, uh, great to see those over the years that have uh, received Jesus and gone through transformation and whether they have gone into a professional life, a business life, a domestic life or gone into the ministry or into missions, it's great to see people serving God that you touched. And that's what it's all about, touching people. Amen. And never underestimate uh, how you touch people. Sometimes it's just a little thing that has great significance. And that's what I have found over the years. It's not always the big, uh, you know, uh, demonstrative, uh, expressive way. Sometimes it's just that little kindness. I've often been asked, what led me to Christ from a non-Christian background? And when I thought about it and weighed up, it was a little man, very small. He was the father of my best friend. And he was a Christian, and uh, he never witnessed to me uh, because I wasn't in the mood or the frame of mind for anybody to tell me anything. And, uh, but I used to go around to their place, and uh, around about 6 o'clock, after 6, I used to live by myself, come home, cook a meal, and then I'd go around to his place around about dessert time because I knew that they would give me a dessert if I went in. And he always welcomed me and was always kind and always loving. And uh, rather than the environment that I was raised in, which was a pr pretty violent and full of alcohol and drunkenness and booze, he was always kind. And then one day when I was invited to go to a particular meeting, I went only because he was kind. Amen. The kindness he showed led me to the next phase where there was an opportunity uh, for Jesus to become real in my life. Amen. And I thank God for that. Hallelujah. So be kind to people. Do something kind. Smile at them. Say something nice to them. Amen. As I said last week, everyone wants to tell us how to witness. And I say, well, that's not really the best way to win people to Jesus. The best way to win people to Jesus is to talk to them. And after you talk to them, then an opportunity comes to share Jesus. Amen. How do you win your neighbor? Go next door, thumb on the door when they come to the door and uh, 
hit them with Jesus, they'll probably slam the door in your face and never talk again. But if you build up a relationship, out of that relationship, opportunity comes to talk about the Lord Jesus. Amen. Anyway, last uh, couple of weeks ago when I was here, uh, I was uh, picked up on the theme. I, I, I explained to you that I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the, the quality and culture uh, of, of, of a church. And I picked on the Antioch church, and there are a lot of churches in the New Testament. I've often heard people say, want to be like the New Testament church, and I often say, which one? Amen. Because they were all in different cultural, social situations and geographical settings with different ethnic groups. And so each church had a little bit of flavor to it, but there was a common overall uh, dynamic of Christianity. And uh, I've traveled the world a lot. I've been to a lot of places and to a lot of churches. I went to one church once where uh, I was preaching and everybody closed their eyes and looked like they went asleep. And, uh, and I and was in, up in Indonesia, way out in the bush somewhere. And I said to the interpreter, they're all gone to sleep. He said, no, no, no. He said, they've been working in the fields for about 15 hours. And when they come in, they, their eyes just close. But they'll hear everything you said. And it's the only congregation I've ever preached to where everybody looked as if they were asleep. And uh, at the end of it, I gave an appeal, and they all sort of woke up and uh, responded to Jesus. They were hearing what I was saying, but they felt it was time for their eyes to have rest. And uh, I had another church I went into, and they had open doors. And um, as I started preaching, about 10 dogs came in, and, uh, and they laid down all around the pulpit where I was, and went to sleep. And uh, I looked around the congregation and nobody seemed to take any notice. So I thought, well, if they are not taking any notice, I'm not taking any notice. So when I was moving, I'm walking over dogs and, uh, and everything. And then when I finished and stopped speaking, all the dogs got up and went out. Now, when I did the next session, all the dogs came back in again. Isn't that good? Isn't it good to have a little bit of variety in church? <laughs> Amen. So there are different churches, but I picked on the church of Antioch simply because there's some qualities in this church that I just wanted us to be reminded of. And um, last uh, fortnight ago, as I shared about this church, I went through four points, and I talked about how situations change and fresh opportunities arise, that the church was birthed by some uh, men who had been scattered from the persecution in Jerusalem, and they finally ended up at Antioch, and it says they began to speak to Greeks also. They sta started to move out of their religious, cultural environment and expectations and started to talk to other people. This was the second generation church, and they were breaking out of their tradition because they were speaking to different people. I went on to say that uh, doing new things is often something God lays before us because the word also, it says they spoke to Greeks also. And uh, we always got to have an also in our lives. We've got to have an also in our church also in everything we do. There's always going to be an also, which takes us beyond what is the pattern. It said they spoke to the Jews, but then they spoke to the Greeks also. I remember in one of my churches way back, and I've had six churches, and <clears throat> I remember about church number one, two, three in Gisborne, 1979, 
And um, we grew and saw the blessing of God. And I remember we started a Bible school, a full-time Bible school in children's ministries and youth ministries. And we built a new church and we were bound to build a next one. And we were going for it. And God was blessing. And surfies were getting saved. And we had to deal with a few dress issues because when you come from the beach to church, you know, they kind of had to get the idea. Better put some clothes over your bikini and all the things like that. And uh, it's all exciting, people getting saved. Today, some of those converts are on the mission field and been serving God for 30 years on the mission field. Amen. Today, people have become fruitful for God. But in the middle of this program, I remember God spoke to me and started stirring me up and said, look, there's an also moment coming. And that also moment turned out to be me jumping on a plane, flying overseas to Asia and having a look. And God exposed me to some of the challenges and the needs overseas. And when I came back, I was revolutionized to another also in my life. I thank God that from time to time, we go out of the status quo, we go out of the comfort zone into an also. And I shared about that. Then we talked about grace. And in this particular church in, in Antioch, in Acts chapter 11, it says that Barnabas came down from Jerusalem and he saw evidence of the grace of God. And there are not a lot of scriptures in the Bible about seeing evidence of the grace of God. Most of the scripture is about the theology of grace. But here we have the experience of grace. And grace is a powerful force. Grace transforms hearts, transforms lives. And I went through a list of things of what we can see in the grace of God. And one of the things I like to see in the grace of God is people finding Jesus, growing in Jesus, and becoming transformers in their own right. Amen. A few uh, months ago, there was a businessman in Auckland at the uh, Westpac uh, Business Awards, and he's a Christian, and he's a friend of mine, and we've, he's consulted with me for many, many years now. And um, he won the uh, Strategic and Planning Award, and, uh, and he was uh, up for the Supreme Award of the Auckland Business Award. And he's a Christian. And I was talking to him about um, some of the uh, uh, things in, within his company. And a lot of the other major companies were asking him a lot of questions about the culture of his company. And the culture of his company, even though he employs a lot of non-Christians, he has Christians and he has, he's a consultancy engineer for, engineering firm and uh, probably 45, 50 employees, and the culture had developed. And he told me some of the things that, that, um, that they did in the company, amen. And they were evidence that he was carrying the grace of God. One of them was that he wanted to really put off an employee because a particular engineer was out of sink in their company. But every time he prayed about it, God said, keep him. And so he kept him. And then three months later, he said, look, Lord, this guy's not really, you know, contributing. Yet the Lord spoke to him and said, keep him on the company. And so he kept him. He kept him for a whole year. And, uh, and, and this man is business-oriented, business-focused. But there's something about when you get into the kingdom of God, there's a contradictory element that can come across our rational thinking. And it was the God factor. And God came across, and at the end of a year, finally this person got a, another job and moved on to a job in which they sinked into and was reflective of them. 
But then his number two engineer, who is being headhunted from all the corporates around the world, is the top in his field. He looked like he was going to go. But he came and he turned down all these major offers simply because he said, listen, I've been here for a year and I have seen the values of this company. In other words, I have seen the values that you have propagated and the grace of God that has been upon you. So I've turned down all these offers and I'm staying with you. It might have cost him a year's salary to keep a guy on, but he probably got 20 years' salary by keeping the top guy in the firm. Isn't it amazing that you can see the grace of God? And see it in our lives, see it in things we touch, see it in people, in situations that we walk into that seems like a, a spiritual, you know, connection takes place, God bringing people together. So that's what I talked about over the last week. And I want to move through a little bit today and just finish off some of these aspects of this Antioch church that I feel we need to just be reminded of and reminded of from time again. I started my message a fortnight ago by saying I went to a, a leaders meeting of Christian leaders from around New Zealand and they wanted to ask uh, me and a few other senior guys some questions. <clears throat> and one of the questions they put to me was, if you revert back to being, being a 25-year pastor today, what would you do differently and what would you not change? And that was a good question because I'm 48 years down the line from that day and uh, so it was a good question. And uh, so I thought, well, if I went back to 25, I remember what I was doing. I was pioneering a church in Dunedin in 1970, my wife and I. And uh, it was pretty raw and it was pretty rugged. And, uh, but, and we ended up with a lot of people coming from Knox College and from Knox Residential College, students at the University of Otago and so forth. I'd always wondered why they were coming to our church. But we had an enthusiasm, we had a presence of God, and we had the workings of the Holy Spirit. And I shared, I think possibly I've shared in the past about where up in Korstafine area of Dunedin there was a Presbyterian minister and um, he wanted me to go up and do some pastoral rounds with him. And, and I went up there and uh, he, he wanted me to go from door to door because every second house was a Presbyterian parishioner's house, you know, and we went along and, and after we'd gone through about four houses and, and God had touched people in each house differently because when he knocked on the door and the person came to the door, he introduced me, then he shut up. And, uh, and so I, I was amazed at this, and I thought, why is he shut up? And I would talk, and, and I found a number of things happened. In one house, a, a teenage boy was rebellious against the solo mum, and I ended up talking to the boy and, and bringing Jesus to him in reality and giving him something to take hold of as purpose for life. And there was transformation taking place. I was amazed, too, because I was just flowing naturally. 90% of the time, you only know you're doing a God thing after the event when you look back. A lot of people want to say, look, God guided me here and guided me there and guided me there. But if you're a spirit-filled person of God, Christ is in you. Amen. Spirit of God is working in you. Your, your thought faculties, your responsive faculties, amen, are energized by the Lord. Amen. Some people look for this kind of separated approach. I'm me, and if God's going to come, he better be like an angelic zoom, zoom, bang, bang, tingle, tingle, and I know it's God. God is working in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I remember I went into, into uh, back with him after we talked to these people, and, and um, he, um, I said, what was all that about? 
he said, well, I've been hearing from the students from Knox about all these things that have been happening in your church, about students getting, getting converted and God touching them. Some getting healed, but getting filled with the Spirit and, and getting a, a, a fresh theological focus because Professor Gehring, who was the heretic, was in the college back then and uh, down there. And so they were going and getting Professor Gehring during the week and they were getting rough Kim Price on Sunday. Amen. And uh, the Spirit of God was working. But he had heard about this and he put it down because he was a trained psychologist. He put it down to, you know, mind over matter and manipulation. So he wanted to test me. And he asked me up and I graciously went up and just walked into the lion's den and just did what I did. And in the end, but he said, I am now convinced. I am now convinced that what is happening is the Spirit of God. Amen. Isn't that a good thing to know? And I didn't even know it until after the event. Hallelujah. So God is a good God. So 25 years ago, when I was 25, 48 years ago, when we was planning that first church, one of the things that the question was, what would you do different? What would you do the same? I'd keep my passion alive. I keep excited about Jesus. I don't let anything... Over the years, I was successful in business. I've been offered many business opportunities. And if you're in business and God's called you to business, you stay in business. Amen. But I have learned over the years that God had called me into the ministry. And when phenomenal business opportunities came along, because I would advise someone in the area that I have expertise is in design build, and I would advise and it merged into the area of understanding finance. I was offered, people would come and offer me significant jobs, but I would turn them down simply because it was a deterrent from what God had put in my heart. See, we've got to make some choices in our life if we want Jesus to be real. Amen? We're not just individuals coming to church, doing a Sunday fix and going out. No, we're Christians seven days a week, 24-7. Amen. Hallelujah. And we carry who we are and what God's called us to be. And we're all called differently. So I just want to go through these four. The first one is be aware of the miraculous. I put the miraculous in there simply because in the book of Acts, which is a 30-year history of the church, there are at least 42 supernatural encounters. You can go through and find them. A lot of them to do with um, supernatural conversion, the Apostle Paul, supernatural baptism of the Holy Spirit is referred to on a number of occasions, supernatural miracles, supernatural healings. Uh, there's supernatural guidance, there's supernatural protection, amen. And um, you can go on and on, and there's a number of categories. There are 10 that I have put it in. But um, in this scripture, in regarding the, uh, the Antioch church, verse 28. It tells us, it says, Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. So here we have church where a prophet comes in and um, into this church, and he speaks a prophetic word. Now, we're not talking about the interpretation of end-time 
prophecy. We're not talking about some, some predictions of, of, of weird, odd uh, nature. We're talking about someone came down of credibility from Jerusalem, and he gave a word, amen, that a famine was going to come into the land. And uh, the church responded to this by taking up an offering and sending a, a gift to the Jerusalem church. But we'll come to that in a moment. But we must beware of the intrusive presence of God. Church is not just a social occasion. Church is not just rituals and tradition. Church is about Jesus present by the Holy Spirit. And that in various ways, he communicates, he touches, and he powers. I remember one day, uh, back in the 60s, a man was brought to the church. He was a, a, a sub-editor of the, of the paper in Wellington, the newspaper. And he had gone into a total emotional mental breakdown. And he was at church that night, and he was sitting about seven or eight chairs back on the aisle. And his wife had brought him. He had been in a home for about two years. He had gone to a total mental breakdown. And, um, and she, his wife was fervent faith. She finally managed to get him to church. He sat there uh, almost like, a, like he wasn't alive. He, just, he was just sitting there. There was blank. And, and in the meeting, I remember the preacher and during the meeting, suddenly the, you could see a touch of God came on the preacher. And he looked down and he said to this person, so-and-so, his name, his first name was Dan, Dan, so-and-so, stand to your feet. And this guy kind of came out of his zoning, you know, and stood immediately up. And he just stood there, never even walked down. He said, God, in Jesus', in Jesus name, be fully restored. And instantly on the spot. I saw this. You were in that meeting, weren't you, Joe? In that meeting. So you had a guy. Now, am I saying that, you know, medical health is, it should be ignored? Certainly not. I don't say that at all. But I'm doing saying that the Lord pops in and intrudes. And immediately that guy was completely and totally restored. Amen. After that, went into Bible school and then became an editor of the, the AOG in New Zealand's paper and so forth. And, and, um, and, and just touch, and I think, that's, that's, a, that's a God thing. Amen. So here we have the church experience in a God thing and an intrusion. There's a lady who had been a missionary right from the mid, late 40s right through into the 70s uh, in India in uh, uh, triple R, and uh, you who are from India will know the pronounced name better than I ever pronounced it, but uh, she was there, and uh, she went in there under the Baptist mission, yet in 63, when she came back on furlough, she felt that God wanted her to move out of the mode that they were doing, which was uh, operating from, from uh, um, uh, compounds or uh, mission uh, compound areas and going out in the villages. And when she went back, she said she felt, and she had a scripture from Song of Solomon that said that she was to go back and go and live in the villages. They didn't want her to do it because it was a dangerous area in which uh, the missionaries were working there, and political change was coming, and there was a lot of tension. And she went to the mission board, the Baptist mission board, and they turned her down. 
and said, no, you couldn't do that. But she prayed about it. She was a lady of tenacity because years later, she was on my staff here when I was pastor of Auckland Church in the 80s. Amen. And uh, whenever she wanted to do anything, I always wondered whether she ever asked me or just came in and kind of informed me. Amen. Because um, in the end, the Baptists consented that when she went back and she went back she felt that God compelled her to go back to that area and visit all the, the, the villages, live in the villages and train up the leadership of the church. Well how did she know that uh, from 60, uh, 64 right through to 72, at 72 all missionaries in that province were thrown out and they all had to get out. She didn't know that, but she knew that God had put upon her heart an intensity, that this is a moment. You see, God speaks in his church. Amen. And here he spoke to the church, and the people responded. That's why we can have all the informational dynamic, which is very important, the strategic dynamic. I often think of the Apostle Paul strategically on his second missionary journey. He was going to go and preach in western Turkey. But before he got there, the Holy Spirit restrained him, stopped him, said no. And he continued to Troas where he had a vision of a Macedonian and finally went over into eastern Europe. And we're here today because the Apostle Paul listened to a restraint of the Holy Spirit that stopped him doing what he wanted to do and directed him to do what God wanted to do. God intrudes into the church. Second point, build a team. Build a team. And uh, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, we see reference to the, uh, um, the a number of the people that were, uh, well, sorry, Acts 11, first of all, verse 20, 22, 25, 26, and 27, 28, then over to chapter 13. We see a number of individuals <clears throat> being built into this church. First, there were the men from Cyprus and Cyrene, chapter 11, verse 20. And then we have Barnabas finally comes down from Jerusalem, a properly chosen person. Do you know when he came down and saw the, saw the, the, the grace of God, you know, the Jerusalem church were quite wise. They could have sent down a legalist. They could have sent down one of the James legalists. And he would have come down. He wouldn't have seen the grace of God. He would have seen them breaking every rule in the book. <laughs> and he would have eaten them for breakfast. Uh, but no, they sent Barnabas because he, he had that ability, that passion, that cross-cultural uh, foresight. And uh, we see that a little bit later, Barnabas goes up to Tarsus and brings back Saul. And Saul becomes part of the team. And then a little bit later, Agabus and a few prophets turn up and start speaking into the church. And then when you get over to chapter 13, we see that the leadership of the church then release Paul and Barnabas onto an apostolic missionary journey. So as you go through the Antioch church, you see the whole array developing in the church. Evangelists, then a pastor, then Paul the teacher. And then you come on to the prophets, and then you come on to the apostles. You see that these ministries start to have a contribution in the life of the church. Now, I'm not getting all tied up into offices here. We're talking about functions of ministry. What those ministries represent in bringing strength and life into the church. Amen. And I believe it's important for us today to build team. I travel, I consult with a lot of churches and I travel around. And one of the things that bothers me from time to time is we can build a group team. Group. A group of people. But building a team has a dynamic. Notice this team that when they got together, they spent time together worshipping the Lord and praying and fasting. 
And um, in fact, I just written a paper recently on fasting. I said a lot of people fast according to the Old Testament, but they don't fast according to the New Testament. Most of the narratives of fasting in the New Testament came around when they were appointing leaders in the church. Did you know that? That's an interesting one. We won't go there. Amen. But building team is very important. It's the most important thing. And there are many men and women here who are part of this congregation, part of the various ministries of this church. And we must give effort and time. We must open ourselves as we can. We must ask questions. We must strengthen. We must discern and build each other up. We need a powerful term. The enemy goes around as it would like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may defile. And a lot of people are devoured simply because they are not relating powerfully in team dynamic. And team dynamic is very, very important. I mentioned John Hales, the pastor down in Christchurch Way that we visited last week. I remember seeing him grow up and, and we were talking about all the young men that were around his age. A lot of them today, and this is not, they're either in business, successful in Christian business, or they're in the ministry. We got missionaries and pastors all over New Zealand around the world that came out of his era, his class era in that church. Why? Because we'd spend time and time and time relating. I used to have fun with the young people until they started hurting me. Those you, you get a 19-year-old starting to bulk out, and you're getting a bit older, and they want to wrestle with you. And uh, I would always wrestle, wouldn't I, Joe, until I started getting beaten with them. Or they started getting a bit more serious. And, uh, but all that dynamic was building team. You mightn't be one to do that. But we use our giftedness, we use our talent, and we build relationship and we build team. Ben, where are you? Where's Ben? Is he still? There he is, Ben. Ben, I was watching you when you were playing here today, and, um, and I was looking at you. I think you're an incredible good-looking guy, um, and, uh, and I'm really jealous of your hair, all right? I, I must tell you that. That is true. You've got incredible hair. Um, but uh, Ben, go, and, and, and if you get proud of what I'm about to say, um, you know that I'm the person who's very good at knocking people's heads off, all right? Um, but I want you to know, you see, God's got his hand on your life. Amen. Don't underestimate what God is going to do. Amen. As you plan the future, he's not going to tell you everything. He won't tell you everything. He'll tell you what you need to know. Amen. And sometimes being an analytical guy and want to work everything out, he is saying to you, try with all your heart's content, but I ain't going to tell you until you need to know. Amen. The thing is, be a, Josh, uh, um, be a Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph did not know what God's ultimate destiny for him was. But he did a number of things. He kept his heart spiritual before the Lord. He kept his integrity before God, even when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He kept his integrity. And he exercised his giftedness in every situation, in his father's house, in Potiphar's house, in the prison, and as prime minister. It didn't matter whether it seemed to be positive position or very, very you know, pressured position, a negative position, he never ever changed his management, his commitment to his, to his calling, his commitment to use his talents and abilities for the glory of God. I'm telling you that, that God's got his hand on your life. Keep it, 
keep it there and don't lose it. Amen. And he will not tell you everything because he doesn't choose to. But he will open the doors at the right time. I just felt to tell you that. All right? Okay? Still love me? Okay. Just checking. Got to finish off here, folks. My time's gone. Next one, teach the Bible. Teach the Bible. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Teaching the Word of God is very important. You know, when Jesus died on the cross and on Resurrection Day, he visited three people. He visited, well, three well, three specific people. He visited Mary Magdalene, then he visited Peter, and then he visited the Emmaus Pier, a group, a couple of people who were walking away from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they were totally despondent because Jesus hadn't done it their way. And I want you to note this, Jesus didn't do it their way. They thought Jesus was going to become a political leader, and he didn't. He dies on the cross and becomes a spiritual leader and births the church. They were totally disoriented, so they walked away. Jesus comes incognito, supernaturally on Resurrection Day, and walks with them. And he spends the whole walk not giving them a supernatural experience, but changing them their thinking. And he walks with them, and he changes their theology. When they finally got to Emmaus and Jesus had a meal with them, they were able to say, listen, didn't we walk on the road with him? And as he unfolded the scriptures, didn't our hearts burn within us? You know, today it's very important that we have a clarity of the word of God. This generation is going to face a very, very uh, challenging next 15 years. And theologically, there's liberalism getting into evangelicals and Pentecostal churches, there's social things happening which are going to be very, very challenging. And people need to know the Word of God and you've got to be able to talk about the Word of God. You've got to be able to discuss issues. Learning the Word of God, understanding the Word of God clearly is very, very important. The last point is be expansive and generous. We know that the Antioch church is noted for becoming generous financially but not only that but generous in investing their people in the expansion of the kingdom of God there are two things that that church released they released their leaders into an expansive ministry that was Paul and Barnabas were sent from the church into their apostolic calling but uh, we also see that this church when they heard the prophetic word that there was going to be a famine in the land that they decided to take up an offering and send it to Jerusalem now I want you to know when the apostle Paul was finally released for the next seven years at least in his ministry in planting Gentile churches and every church when, when he was doing the whole teaching getting them discipled and established he also talked about a special offering that he was raising for the church of Jerusalem did you know that some say it went on for the 10 years, but at least seven years while he was planting churches, he was also saying, look, we want to we wanna bless the, 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 the spiritual church. We want to bless the church. We want to bless Jerusalem. And through all his epistles, he makes reference to a special offering. One of the things I want to mention here, and I, I haven't got time to go into it because I am finishing. But there is ways in which we give financially to the church, tithes and offerings. I'm not going to go in to tell you my belief on tithes. Some people say, well, that's Old Testament, you don't do it. Well, it, it predated 
the law, but it also, in Jesus' day, uh, I believe that, that tithing is a measurement tool of generosity. Hallelujah. In other words, it's been extricated from the curse of the law. There's no curse on anybody who tithes. In my thinking, Malachi 3.10 has got the blessing side, but the curse side, Jesus fulfilled the curse of the law. But it's still a kingdom principle. That if you give generously, you'll be generously blessed. If you're tight fist, well, you'll receive a stingy response. 2 Corinthians um, chapter 9 verses 5 through to 7 tells us that. I'm a great believer in being generous. Out of a generous, grace-driven heart. Hallelujah. Responding to investing in the expansion of the kingdom of God. But this particular text here is not raising money for local. It's money to go further afield. It's money to give beyond our control and beyond our benefit. And having been involved in missions for many years, whether it's nationally through our country and supporting evangelists and so forth, or whether it's overseas supporting missionaries, it's always driven my heart that people, if the vision is clear, if the vision is of God, if the vision is, is, is uh, bringing people into Christ and, and touching communities and nations, there is a great call for generosity. Young people become generous right from the beginning. When I became a Christian, I got born again, I went to church, and I remember uh, in the church and I just didn't think about, you don't think, why would you think about how a church operates? I didn't think about it, I just went to church. And then one day I just noticed they were passing a bag around. And I said, why are they passing? Well, what's that all for? You know, what's the money for? And uh, somebody said, oh, that's money. That's, that, that, that's to run the, the church. And I said, well, what is it called? And the member said they called it tithing. I said, oh, really? Is that right? Okay, what does that mean? They told me what it meant. And I started. My wife and I have never stopped never ever stopped hallelujah giving into the kingdom of god giving into missions my wife is sometimes too generous but anyway um, always given and never ever seen god not bless open doors of blessing amen you know the old cliches just echo out there you know they echo all the time like um you know uh, if you give one tenth to god you'll get far greater than the 90 percent than you've got retained amen it'll go further and da, da, da. i believe all those things amen but i hate throwing out cliches all i say is god this church by its own desire wanted to be positive and responsive amen Team, where are you? Please come and do your twiddly dums here for me, please. Thank you. And uh, so the, just finishing today, beware of the miraculous. God speaks. God is speaking in his church. Build a team. Team is good. I haven't gone into all the details of it, but building a team around uh, 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 in the church, supportive of the ministry of the church, the pastor, as he builds team. Team is not something that's just mechanically developed team is actually built and made through a lot of relational dynamic but a lot of honest dynamic and sharing together it takes time to build trust take time to build team amen and um, teach the bible learn the bible debate the bible talk about it but not just from a calculated legalistic point of view but from an enlightenment of what is the truth that jesus is communicating and be expansive and generous as a people, as individuals, and as a congregation. Can we all stand, please? I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to... Um
We're going to let the team lead us. Thank you for being patient. Amen. Let's all pray together. And as I pray, amen, if anything this morning has touched your heart and you say, yes, Lord, I'm affirming that. Yes, Lord, I'm affirming that particular thing out of the message this morning. I'm affirming it. Just put your hand across your heart now. You don't have to. It's just an option. Sometimes a little bit of a physical response gives a little bit of impetus to spiritual and emotional and mental desire. Amen. And I'm just going to pray right now. And if God has spoken to you in some way and you're saying, yes, I'm taking that on board, do that now. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We honor that name. We've been singing about that name this morning. And it's a beautiful name, the name of Jesus. It represents, Lord, your your beloved Son. It represents all that he's achieved for us in in coming to earth and uh, dying on the the cross and ascending back into heaven and sending us the Holy Spirit. That name represents your communication, your connection with us, and we honor the name of Jesus. And I ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you will touch every heart here. And as the word has just landed on some of the heart soil of individuals here this morning, that you will bless in Jesus' name. You will take it and you will cause it to become fruitful and in any change or any enrichment in their life. Bless your people in the name of Jesus. Bless everyone gathered here. Walk with them. And may we, Lord, together be the church. Amen. uh, For this uh, next phase of growth and development in the purposes of God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? And everybody said loudly? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.